time to talk about the names of Jesus. And this time it's another interesting one, the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We see that phrase used a lot in Paul's writings. He refers to Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Peter says the same thing in, um, in Acts chapter 4 as he's proclaiming the gospel to the Sanhedrin, um, that he is the stone the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. So we're going to talk about what a cornerstone is. We're going to talk about um, some of the origins of this phrase and what its meaning. To do that, we have to go back to Isaiah chapter 28, and you can turn there if you want. Chapter 28, we're going to look at verse 14. Really, the whole chapter is fantastic. Um, and to give you a little we'll kind of paraphrase what's happened here, judgment is being pronounced against the north, the northern kingdom, which is often referred to in shorthand as Ephraim, because Ephraim was the primary tribe of the north, or one of the primary tribes of the north. So in the north, um, Isaiah says, hey, uh, judgment's coming to you. Destruction is coming to you. But the north is feeling pretty comfortable. You know, they're not really worried uh, that this is coming. So in verse 14, uh, actually, let's back up a little bit. Let's go, um, let's go back to verse, uh, da, da, da. let's go back to verse uh, 10. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people, to whom he has said, This is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. All right, so let's, what does this mean? He's saying he's going to bring uh, foreign powers, their enemies, to destroy them to knock them back, to humble them, to quiet them down. That's another thing. He wants them to be still. Activity and commotion is often in Scripture associated with a lack of contentment or striving after something. I think we can understand that from the world around us when we look at what is presented in the media. You always want more. You're always chasing after more. You're always worried about something, always worked up. We're constantly busy. The world wants you to be busy. It never wants you to be settled. It never wants you to be content. It needs you frothing, ready for something. And God says, no, I don't want you that way. Be at rest. Be at peace. Sit for a minute and listen to me. Because to be at rest with God is to trust God. Uh, Psalm chapter 23, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's quite literal sometimes. You have to make us lie down, just like a child. And I, I've, I've got four children. Um, none of them are in the nap phase anymore. Um, and I know that those who fought naps are going to regret it one day when they're my age and they wish they could take more naps. But we have to make them to lie down because they don't know that they need rest. We have to make them lie down and rest because they need it. God has to make us lie down and rest sometimes. And he needs to do that with the north. He needs to do that with Ephraim and, and the northern kingdom. And uh, so what does he say? Well, I'm going to bring in these foreign powers and they're going to they're going to slow you down. And uh, the Lord will speak to his people to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet you, they would not hear. Now what happens after that? And the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. What in the world are we talking about? He's saying now, you won't, you won't sit, you won't rest, you won't trust me, so you are going to 
have to suffer at the hands of a foreign enemy. And the word of God, the law to you will become a burden. It will become something that weighs you down. It will be tedious. This is tedium. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. It's all going to be a tedious burden to you. Read Leviticus. Read Deuteronomy. It is a burdensome, tedious mess. And God says, this is going to be what slows you down. This is going to be what is going to cause you to stumble backwards and fall. Why did God give his people such a law? Why did God demand things of them that they weren't capable of fulfilling? It's not because he's mean. It's not because he's cruel. Not because he's vindictive. It's because God wants to create an environment where he is needed. Where we look to the heavens because there is no other hope for us except a savior. And then he would send that savior. But for a time, they're not going to see it. Their eyes are going to be blinded. This is very true in scripture. We see this, we see this when Jesus, uh, after the resurrection, people don't recognize him. And then they do. We see this as Paul writes about for a time that the, the eyes were blinded of those who heard him and only later did they see that he was in fact the Messiah. Why did God blind their eyes? That doesn't seem fair because the job was for him to be a sacrifice. If they had known who he was and been convinced of who he was, they might not have done it and it needed to be done. So for a time they were kept ignorant and selfish so that Jesus could accomplish the goal. All that to say God has a way of humbling us and setting us down and making us rest and pushing us back a little bit when we need to be. He did that with Paul when he meets him on the road to Damascus when his name was Saul of Tarsus. And he says, I want you to go on into town. I want you to find this house and wait there and someone's going to come and a man named Ananias comes. But in the meantime, Saul, Paul, is blind. He's blinded. He has scales over his eyes. Blindness. Why? Jesus just needed him to sit for a little bit and think. He had to contemplate a lot of things about his life. Just sit. Just sit. So these foreign powers are going to come in. They're going to knock Israel or, or the northern kingdom down a peg. And then... God is going to show them what rest looks like. He's going to hold them back a little bit using his law, which is going to become a burden and a tedium, unlike anything they've seen. And in fact, it, it was. Therefore, verse 14, Hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone. We've talked about Jesus the rock as a shelter, shelter in a time of storm. This is Jesus the rock, the cornerstone. What is the cornerstone? Well, the cornerstone, in masonry terms, was the stone which made everything work. It made everything square. It held everything in place. It was an important part of the foundation because that cornerstone established the square of the structure. It maintained the integrity of the structure. It was essential to the structure working. And Isaiah here in his prophecy says, 
that God says, I'm laying a foundation in Zion. Where is Zion? Well, it, it sometimes means Jerusalem, but it just really means the place where God dwells. God dwelt in Jerusalem in the temple, but the place where God dwells, that's wherever he is. Could be heaven, Jerusalem, um, could be us, because God lives within us. So, But in Zion, and again, you can take that either way, and it's still true, he's laying a foundation. What is it? It's a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line, and righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. All right. A lot of engineering terms there uh, with plumb lines and being square. Um, my dad's a civil engineer, and he loves the prophets because there, there's oftentimes a lot of things about measuring rods and, and plumb lines, and boy, he, those, those things get him excited. I, I don't understand, but it does. Um, but we're talking about something that works, something that's sound, that will last, that will stand. And how do we do that? Well, we've got to have the right foundation. That foundation is not going to be the tedious, meticulous law. That foundation is not going to be in pursuing the fancies of the world and chasing after all the things it has. That foundation is going to be in Christ, the cornerstone, the true and tested cornerstone. Why is he the cornerstone? He's what makes everything work. He's what makes it work. We needed a savior. He's the savior. We needed a sacrifice. He's the sacrifice. Read um, Hebrews. Read the book of Hebrews, and you will be amazed. The whole book is about how he makes it work. It doesn't work without him. None of this works without him. He is the, the cornerstone. He is the one the builders rejected. Now, he is a cornerstone, but sometimes you'll see this... Um, this phrase used by New Testament writers, and they will say he's the cornerstone, a stumbling block. He's a stumbling block. I think Peter writes about that, that he is the cornerstone, but he's also a stumbling block. How is it both? He's supposed to be the thing that makes everything work, but he causes us to stumble. Well, those who are not ready to do the will of God will find it difficult to follow after Jesus. Jesus is challenging. Jesus, wherever he goes, can be very polarizing. Wherever he goes, things happen. Things happen, usually for the better. But you look at what happened in his ministry and the opposition he faced from the religious leaders and yet the adulation he received from the common person. Jesus is controversial. Jesus is scary. And so sometimes... He can cause people to stumble because they're not ready for him. He, the, the proud, the self-sured, the religious elite, Jesus is going to present them with some things that will cause them to fall over themselves. But for those who are humble and ready to receive, he will be the thing that makes it all work. Uh, it reminds me, and Peter talks about this also in 1 Peter, it reminds me of, of the story of the flood. What was the ark? What was the ark? What did it represent in the flood? Well, that depends on which side of it you were on. For Noah and his family, the ark represented salvation, safe passage through the water. For everyone else, as the waters rose and they watched it float away, it represented destruction for them because they weren't in it. 
Jesus can represent salvation, but also condemnation. Because those of us who are in Christ, we see the power of his blood and the salvation he brings. We see that he makes it all work. It's a sure foundation. It saves us from the tedium of the law and gives us a freedom. But for, for the rest, for those outside of Christ, when they look at him, they see condemnation, their own condemnation. Jesus calls us to think about some things and make decisions about some things, and that can be scary, and that can be hard. The cornerstone is that which makes it work. It's that which makes the structure square. It's the foundation. It's the whole of everything. And yet, for those who aren't ready, it's going to be a way for God to slow you down, make you think, and cause you to fall backwards a little bit. Sometimes that's what God needs to do with you. And that's what Jesus can do. We'll be back next time to continue talking about all these wonderful names of Jesus. The Bible is chock full of them. We're only going to get to some of them, and it's really going to take us most of the summer. So looking forward to it. We'll see you then.